they were drawn against you in, in the quarterfinal, semi-final draw. Did that further inspire you today? No, we just knew that as soon as they turned up that we were going to win that. They can cheer as much as they want. I don't think they'll be cheering tonight. So much was made of your battle with Joey Barton in the build-up to this. How was it out there? Easy, yeah, it's fine. It wasn't a problem, there's no battling whatsoever. Uh, I think it was more media. Uh, I made no issue whatsoever of it. Did you feel you got the better of them then, certainly given the scoreline? I think the scoreline talks for itself. I think uh, at the end of the day, it shows you how it was pretty much men versus boys at the end of the day. But uh, we're a great team, we're very, very close together. And I think it showed you again out in the park. Welcome back to Celtic 2021. You join us on episode six, believe it or not, the first one of the closed season. Uh, you're joined here by Ryan, myself, and Paul. How you doing, Paul? I'm good, I'm good. Um, a wee bit of withdrawal symptoms this week, um, adjusting to the next few weeks without Celtic, but um, getting there. Aye, it's never easy, is it? The, the first week of the close season, <laughs> you just expect things to roll on, but they never do. Um, aye, you, you join us here, and as we discussed before, um, we were very keen to do a bit of a tribute podcast for the captain um, after his testimonial, and we want to uh, cover a bit of Bruni's time with the hoops um, and give a wee bit of our thoughts on uh, some of the, the periods. It's not all been smooth sailing for Bruni, um, but we're going to cover that over the course of this podcast. Aye, so it's back to May 2007. Um, Gordon Strachan's second year. Uh, it's Gordon Strachan's third year in charge, sorry. Um, and Scott Brown is obviously part of that sort of golden generation that Hibs had with the likes of Gary O'Connor and Derek Dyard and Kevin Thompson, Stephen Whitaker all sort of came through the youth system there at, at the same time and there was a lot of uh, a lot of speculation at the time when he, he was 
he was getting lengthy moves away and it was obviously between us and Rangers, everybody expected and uh, the Rangers fans were even singing we're going to take Scott Brown a few weeks before uh, he signed on the dotted line for Celtic and it's £4.4 million, pounds, still the still the highest transfer between two Scottish clubs and um, I think at the time everybody, there's maybe a couple of raised eyebrows about the, the fee. Aye, um, I think like you said it was he was part of the kind of golden generation for Hibs and um, probably hotly touted as, as a kind of top prospect in Scottish football but um, looking at the money that, that was changing hands in Scotland I think kind of um, the record up to that point had been Duncan Ferguson um, from Dundee United to Rangers at four million, so um, it wasn't a commonplace um, for Scottish clubs to, to transfer kind of for the, the value over four million. So um, it probably is testament again to the fact that that is still the record transfer fee because it was scoffed at, um, and people did think maybe we were paying over the odds for um, a Scottish player. Aye, um, I think that's, I mean, to think that we're 10 years on, more than 10 years, um, 11 years on from from Scott Brown signing and that we've never really came close to that between between two Scottish clubs and I know it, the, the Scottish game as a whole has maybe not in the same place as it was in, in, in that sort of decade that Scott Brown signed uh, in terms of in terms of finances, um, sponsorship and TV deals and that sort of thing, but um, it just goes to show the what Celtic thought of the potential that Scott Brown had. Aye, and I think what, what we'll kind of probably quickly touch on in this podcast is that they weren't the only ones like um, from that, that kind of golden generation, and uh, Bruni was certainly one that had piqued a couple of um, clubs' interest. I think a a number of clubs have been looking at him. Reading were one the year before, and um, like you said there already, that uh, Rangers had um, taken Kevin Thompson and thought they were taking Bruni with him. So um, he was definitely a hot prospect. And um, as it moves on, and we're ten years on now, we're uh, over the moon that he did uh, decide to sign for us and um, put his career over the hoops. Aye, definitely. As we said, um, it's not always been. It's not all been ups since he arrived, but um, I think we can see over the past couple of seasons and the legacy that he's he's going on to leave at Celtic uh, so many years as a captain and so many so many honours that uh, it's definitely uh, one of the most important signings in Celtic's recent history. But he wasn't always the sort of player that he is now. No, um, I was just saying just before we kind of um, kick-started the podcast that uh, almost a part of you over the last few seasons, probably specifically over the last few seasons, where he's become the kind of um, defensive midfielder, talisman, the guy that kind of orchestrates and controls the ball in the middle of the park from a defensive perspective purely. You forget that he was more kind of free roaming and um, at one point kind of hotly touted as um, the, the box-to-box dynamo and somebody that they could really carry a ball forward and create things in the, the last third of the park. You forget that? Ah, you do. It's, I think when he was at Hibs, played off the right-hand side um, 
sometimes and like you say a box to box role he was dynamic he actually had a lot of pace in his his, um, his younger days there's uh, I think Hibs uh, had a 3-0 victory at Ibrox I think Ivan's probably got a hat-trick that day um, and if you see some of Scott Brown's performance that day I mean he's running away for people left, right and centre those days have gone aye they've gone now but um, I absolutely dominated the Rangers midfield that day and um, he also scored in a win at Celtic Park for Hibs in April 2005 and I think that, that goes to show um, the more advanced role that he did have in that Hibs team um, Aye and the week after he agreed to sign for us he scored against us again so um, just to, he scored his, his final appearance for Hibs uh, against us funnily enough um, he scored and uh, I suppose it was good that both sets of fans cheered him um, as the as the game went on, um, it shows the, the potential that we thought he had. Aye, I think that's um, that was always bound to happen, wasn't it? I think when a player signs for a club and then has to play them again before before they actually leave to join them, um, it's always written the stars that, that something will happen. Aye. Um, there's, I mean, there's a great picture of him squaring up to Neil Lennon as well on his Hibs days and um, <laughs> all of these things sort of come back round and, and look a bit strange now when you, you think about his relationship with Neil Lennon uh, when it came to playing for Celtic. Aye, aye, very much so. Uh, but aye, he signed um, and joined up with the pre-season. Um, kind of looking forward to his Celtic career and um, ready to get it fully underway. Again, more of that kind of uh, free-flowing midfielder that would kind of move forward and um, and head into the, the final third of the park. Um, coming in that season, he was also the one that was known for hot-headedness and uh, a bit fiery, uh, a bit temperamental, um, liked his, his yellow cards um, and collected a few reds as well. Uh, but he joined up with us in 2007, um, and by all accounts, he, he did really well um, in the early part of his Celtic career. Aye, um, he had a good start. I think he had a good start in his first season. I think um, we weren't long after losing Stalin Petrov, so I think we were looking for somebody who could be that all-energy sort of box-to-box presence and, and maybe chip in a few goals as well. But I think he ended up 48 appearances that first season and uh, only three goals. So the, the sort of goals thing never really materialised, but he was definitely... You could see what his strengths were, right, for the word go. Um, and like you said, he's always been a fierce competitor. And in his early his early days, he was always on the, the threshold for the yellow card suspension. Um, a few red cards in there as well. But that's something that he's gradually uh, been able to tire out of his game. But that season, that season was quite a big one for Celtic, um, going for three in a row. I'm sure he got a, a sort of steep, steep learning curve as to what it was to play for Celtic with so many, so many big games that season. And we had that run of seven games, seven league games left, that, and we had to win them all. And that included, uh, that included two games against Rangers, both at Celtic Park, uh, that that we managed to, that we managed to win. But um, suspension was uh, a big factor for Scott Brown in the second half of that season. 
and I think um, it was a tough season, a tough time, sorry, personally for him at the back end of that season as well. And the suspensions just played into the, the sort of disruption that he had uh, towards the running. Hi, for sure. Um, but when when you look at and it, if you kind of crazy not to consider maybe some of the the people that came in in the same transfer window as, as Scott Brown in that first season because to sit here 11 years almost um, to to have Scott Brown as such a um, key part of what Celtic are about now 11 years down the line um, maybe to kind of touch on some of the guys that joined us in that same transfer window that, that previous summer Aye well it's strange because I think especially in modern football you don't <coughs> really think that anybody who comes in is, is going to be about for 10, 11 years. It just it seems to get rarer and rarer as, as the years go by. But, I mean, in that transfer window, that was quite a busy one. I think um, it was the last embers of so, sort of the stalwarts for the Martin O'Neill team had left, Alan Thompson and Neil Lennon. And um, uh, Gordon Stratton kind of added quite, quite a few players. Um, Andy Hinkle was a big sign in that season. Old um, Andy Hinkle. Scott McDonald came in. He went on to have a good a good few years at Celtic. Um, and some less so, Massimo Donati, who, who came in um, from AC Milan, was was good for a spell. Um, actually set the hair, al- hair alight in his first few his first few months, but he was never able to uh, sustain it for any length of time. I, mean, I think we had Chris Killen as well, which was <laughs> blast of the past. Aye, eh? uh, that was a strange, strange old signing in the first place, and it was one that never really got off the ground. But um, it's such a contrast when you think about the guys that did come in in that that transfer window and uh, the different Celtic careers that they had, and then to to put that up against Scott Brown and to think that he's been here for for such a long time. Aye, and I think kind of that just looking at some of the and even kind of in the middle of that season and, and players that come in and that there's players come and go. You've already said that players come and go more often now than they ever did in football, um, and it is just testament to the the player, the man that is Scott Brown, what he's done in his his Celtic career. Um, but it takes us in nicely uh, to his second season, um, the way O nine season, uh, and. That is kind of the turning point um, where uh, Stratton praised him for uh, reinventing himself and, and becoming more defensive-minded um, in his career. Uh, and I think that that's what we know of Scott Brown these days. That's the person we know, that's the player we know, um, and it's what we've come to um, appreciate him for. Aye, I think, um, as you say, that's the season where he did have more sort of transition um, into a, a more sitting role. Um, he did have a great season that year. I mean, I think uh, there was a some Rangers fan had put on Twitter recently, or oh, where was Scott Brown when Stephen Davis and Pedro Mendes were, were bossing the midfield for Rangers? Mm-hmm. Well, Scott Brown was winning the PFA Player of the Year <laughs> when Pedro Mendes and Stephen Davis bossing. were bossing the midfield for Rangers. Aye. So, aye, that was... That was a great season for him. I think uh, halfway through that season was where there started to be murmurings of clubs down in England interested in him. I think it was uh, the likes of Spurs and Portsmouth. I think Harry Redknapp was always a, 
fan. Paul was said to be a fan, I think. Aston Villa were, were sort of mentioned in the discussions as well. Um, and just a couple of years into the Celtic career, they were talking about nine, ten million. Um, but a move never materialised, and, and thankfully enough, it never. I think, like, that probably in Scott Brown's career, he's been selective of where he wants to play. Um, the Reading thing back in, in 06, 07, um, he didn't want to go to them because he'd been involved in a relegation battle. Um, then moving to Celtic because he saw the potential of playing in the Champions League um, in the group stages and, and doing big things with his career. Um, but when he was linked to names like Spurs, Spurs are no, um, no small-time team. Um, and, and Portsmouth as well at the time, they um, had a, a great setup. But um, it is testament to how well he did play in his second career, uh, second, career <laughs> second season. Um, and later in the month, that was when he was um, named by FIFA as one of the players to watch uh, in 2009. Aye, well, that's a, again, that's just a symbol of how well how well he was performing that season. Um, but I think, in contrast to his first season, that, that season was um, a bit disappointing for Celtic, more than a bit disappointing. Um, we obviously went on to, to lose the title in a sort of uh, opposite scenario for the season before. Um, that was the season where, in January, Scott McDonald had scored at Ibrooks, and we were we were seven points clear of Rangers and we were in the driving seat going into the second half of the season, but um, it kind of fell apart towards towards the end of that season and, and Rangers managed to pip us to the title. Um, also wasn't such a good season in, in Europe either, um, having been in the last 16 um, the year before. So again, like we said at the beginning, um, not all ups, and I think that second season, certainly in terms of trophies, was was one for him where um, it would have been ultimately disappointing despite um, the personal accolades that he picked up. And again, as it's, Bruni had a great season, um, one guy having a great season is never going to um, make the team, uh, the, the, the league winning, the treble winning team that, that you would hope they would become. It was the end of the, the Strachan era. Um, Strachan inevitably um, moved on, uh, resigned at the, the end of the year, and it brought in somebody Brown knew well um, from his, his former Hibs days, uh, as Tony Mowbray became the, the Celtic manager. Um, I'm kind of hoping we can swiftly brush over Tony Mowbray's Celtic, <laughs> Celtic reign, uh, but he did, he came in um, at the beginning of the next season. Aye, well, I think, as you said, the less said about this, this season, the better, but this was definitely the season where the injury problems started to become a real issue for him. Um, I think we played Hamburg in the Europa League, and that was um, that was maybe his last appearance for a while. Aye. Um, because he just he just couldn't seem to, seem to get rid of the, the ankle problem. Um, but aye. That was obviously a really poor season. Tony Mowbray came in and brought a lot of new ideas with him and um, a lot of new players, but without getting into too much detail, we all know that it obviously never worked out for him and it was a really a really poor season uh, for Celtic. And um, just 
the end, towards the end of January, he was obviously sacked. And that, but that was where Neil Lennon came in as take, uh, caretaker and, and handed Scott Brown the armband. And who, who'd have thought all these years later? He'd still um, be there. He would still be there. Aye. Leading the team, wearing the armband. Um, he, aye, so like you said, that was probably the, the start of, um, after having a laugh about the picture with, with Bruni's, uh, right in, in Lennon's face earlier in his career when he was with Hibs. Um, that was the start of quite a good relationship um, for those two. Uh, Lennon coming in as the, the caretaker manager and um, Bruni playing in the, I think it's eight league matches that were left when um, Lennon took over uh, and Bruni played in all of them. Um, so I, it, it started to become that wee kind of connection they had there um, and he played in the Scottish Cup semi-final defeat um, to, believe it or not, First Division Ross County um, as we get beat 2-0 in the semi-final. Uh, and again, in our podcast we've discussed that um, Lennon didn't have a good record at Hamden, so um, that was one of his first poor outings at Hamden um, as it's seen as get beat um, by Ross County um, and it meant that it was the first time that we finished trophyless um, for I think it was seven years or something like that, seven seasons. Aye, um, that, that day, I remember that day well, that was, I think that was the first time I'd ever went to Hamden um, and I struggled to forget it for all the wrong reasons but um, that see, that day, that day just summed up that whole season. Um, Neil Lennon obviously had a very good. Uh, he closed out the season in the league very well. Um, won all the league games and managed to beat Rangers um, at Celtic Park as well. But um, that, as you say, was the last the last chance of a trophy we had, and um, it was just a it's like a microcosm of the whole season. It was just such a poor performance and. Just absolutely nothing went right. We had a lot of, lot of quality in the team with Aidan McGee, Bobby Keane, um, Diomancy Camera, but I mean, that, that was really poor that day. and um, It was the only, the only sort of blip that Neil Lennon had. Uh, but he still done enough to, to get the job, and that, that meant that going into the, the following season, 2010 11, that Scott Brown. Uh, retained the captaincy. Aye, and rightly so, um, as as we now know. Uh, but aye, uh, Lennon did keep Brownie, uh, Brownie I was about to say. Um, Listen to Brendan Rodgers. Aye, Brendan Rodgers is in the head. Um, so Brownie uh, did keep the, the captain's armband um, and he played in the majority of the Celtic matches um, in the early, early part of the season, um, 2010-11. And got his... Uh, his goal, his first goal for the club since um, the pre- uh, aye, that March, um, and it was a cracking volley um, he put in against Hibs. Um, absolute uh, just rewards for um, stepping up and taking the captaincy and, and doing so well on the team. So um, he did. Uh, that was him um, really kind of back onto it. Uh, and you're thinking that his injury issues are, are past him, um, that he's, he's kind of going to get a good, clean run in the team um, coming up into that the 2010-11 season. Um, but again, injury was to, to make an appearance that season. 
I think um, it was a metatarsal injury that he had in the first half of that season. And again, this is where, um, kind of starting in 2009, the, the injury problems just seemed to never be far from the surface for him. And it did, it did disrupt, his, disrupt his forum and disrupt his, his sort of influence in the team because he was never able to get a real consistent uh, spell for the majority of the season um, without, without the injuries. Um, but did I read? In fact, I was quite astonished to read that it was sort of in the January of that season that Juventus and Inter Milan were monitoring his um, contract situation. Aye, aye. Wondering if he would uh, run out of contract and they could pick him up on a free. Aye, that was that was news for me. Um, aye, that's that's crazy to think. I mean, I think we all know Scott Brown's qualities and uh, Brendan Rodgers has obviously said that having worked so closely with him, he he knows that he could have. He could have played at a higher level, but um, that's flattering interest uh, as far as MD's concerned. Even oh, aye. Not. For certain. Um, but again, uh, I'm sure that we'll, we'll talk on, you know, it's never been that, that straight um, linear kind of um, path to where he's at now and where he's idolised and, and he's all the man that he's, um, he's ever kind of dreamed to become um, and how well he's done with Celtic. But again, the niggling injuries, the wee things, and having been linked with teams like that and teams taking a, a real interest in them um, back then does go to show that people knew and were aware of them. Um, people wanted a bit of what Scott, Scott Brown could give um, to their teams, and at that level, yeah, like you say, um, it's, it's not to be sniffed at. No, it's, it's, high, it's high, uh, high praise indeed. But... Um, the 6th of February 2011 is maybe <laughs> Scott Brown's most famous uh, most famous moment uh, in a Celtic shirt um, in the Scottish Cup at Ibrooks. Um, you had the commentary in the, the intro there. Um, the day the Bruni was invented, what a goal it was, I don't know why. <laughs> Must have got <laughs> the wrong side of the bed that morning on his left foot and everything. But um, aye, that was... That was um, a great moment because obviously we all know uh, El has just relationship with the Celtic fans and this time at Liverpool and just the way the way he's conducted himself his whole career. I mean, he's he's just a scumbag, um, and for that at that moment for him just to turn around and um, for just just to be there was uh, it was quite apt. <laughs> Aye, well, well and truly apt. Um, for we've talked about it before, and um, as much as Bruni, I think this season just gone. Um, kind of seventeen and eighteen is the first season in a Celtic shirt that he's he's not managed to find the back of the net. But it's oh, fucking horrible in front of goal, isn't he? <laughs> he's he's not the one that you would expect to to curl a ball into the net with any finesse um, at all whatsoever. Uh, but he certainly did find the back of the net there, and it was quite a wee sweet curl into the, the far left corner. Aye, um, it was a beautiful goal. It was, it was probably, technically, technically probably his best goal for Celtic, um, particularly given the sort of game it was in as well. But um, as we've said, it's not always been uh, trophies and and 
uh, all ups for him. And the thing that um, really got under my skin and probably under most of our skins was at the end of the season, um, Rangers ended up beating us to the title that year, um, which really did leave a sour taste because that was the year we, where we had um, we had seven, I think it was seven games against them because we'd had the, the Scottish Cup game that went to a replay um, and it was really fierce. The rivalry that time, it was when Neil Lennon was getting all the sort of death threats and the 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 suspicious packages sent to him and just a really a really bad time for for Celtic where um it really did feel like the world was against us and it would have been so sweet to to finish it by winning the league that year. But um but we never quite done it and that's something that I think um for everybody concerned uh would have been a big disappointment. Aye, no kidding. Um but again, like you said, um, no career is, is all ups, and uh, I think Bruni um, has, has handled them really well. Um, he's just that attitude of let's get back up and crack back on and, uh, and do what we can. And yes, disappointing um, to finish the season without the trophy. Uh, but again, um, another character building one. Um, for him as a captain um, to, to kind of keep the team together, keep the team moving forward. Aye, it was always. It was also the we did end up um, securing the Scottish Cup at the end of that that season um, yeah, against Mullerwell, despite missing out on the 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 league title, and that was his first trophy as, as Celtic captain. But um, aye, that's um, a disappointment that we that we couldn't have picked up the league that year, as I said, but. Um, I think we should speed up a wee bit and uh, Aye. get to the good bit. I'm just dying. I'm just di- dying to, to get to the the Brendan Rodgers era here. But, um, <laughs> Aye, let's let's push it on a wee bit. To before we get to the Brendan Rodgers era, we've got to talk about um, the Ronnie Dyla era. Obviously, after 2010-2011, we did get that first title under Neil Lennon, and it was it was the first of the seven. Um, seven and counting that were, were still on the run right now. Um, but obviously, Ronnie Dyla coming in 2014, again, is, this is where injuries were still a factor uh, for him. Um, and he was sort of in and out of the team with his injuries and, and in and out of the team of form as well. And then, of course, the despite the fact that we, we did secure the league, um, at the end of Ronnie Dyla's second season, it was that semi-final defeat to the Rangers, where, well, penalties, um, wasn't an actual defeat. <laughs> <laughs> they they kind of get an actual defeat against us, but um, it was his performance that day where we really thought, oh dear, maybe, maybe he's coming, coming to the end, coming to the end is, is sort of curved with Celtic because um, the injuries just didn't seem to be going away and. Um, he just really looked laboured and and not like not like the player the player that we know. Aye, and it is it's it's funny to think sitting here now. Um, I know we've kind of we, we covered in detail the first part of his, his Celtic career, but um, sitting here now after experiencing the Dyla years, um, the the form that he'd it, it, he'd lost that he was laboured. He looked 
almost like he had lost his legs completely, like he wasn't going to have, um, almost like his fitness is gone. And but then probably the injuries did plague him and bring him back a wee bit. And playing with Ronadilla or under Ronadilla, he just couldn't find um, that flair, that kind of like what we'd known him for, that energy, passion, fire. Um, and you did think maybe that it was um, heading to the, he was heading to the door. Maybe that it was past it. Aye, well, that's that was the way it was. It was beginning to look. I think. Interesting. I've heard a couple of the the players that played under under Vonnie Dyla, and obviously there was a lot of media um, speculation around about the diet and the sort of stuff that he brought in. Um, I think it was basically a sort of ketogenic diet, like um, no carbs before high, marbs, high, mm-hmm, high fats and and low carbs, which. Um, I mean, Charlie McGrew, I've heard Charlie McGrew saying that he was he was maybe in the best uh, physical shape he's ever been in, but <laughs> he, he couldn't he couldn't have run the length of himself. Um, so again, maybe this is that was all feeding in to Scott Brown with injury problems, and I think um, the team did struggle to adjust to to Vonnie Dyla's methods, aye um, diets methods, and it's maybe the the wider message he was trying to to get across, but. Um, that's that was how it was looking towards the end of his reign, and um, there was a lot of a lot of doubt around about him. Um, but then, welcome, Mister Brendan Rogers, to the fold. There's no such thing as a bad player; just a player that hasn't played under Brendan Rogers. Is that right, Paul? Well, aye, that was just for the minute. Brendan Rogers has walked in the door. Um, there's just been such an an air of positivity. So that day was unveiled and 13,000 people turning up to, to welcome him and the way that whole first season went obviously with the, the invincible treble like it was domestically uh, particularly it was just like nothing could go wrong um, and as you said the, the upturn that we've seen from, from everybody uh, from working under him was, was so stark compared to how we'd finished the season under Vonnie Dyler, but um, none more so than with Brown. And I'd, I'd hard pushed to, to think of a better spell of form that Scott Brown's had for Celtic than these past two seasons. Aye, which again is crazy when you think of as a young guy coming into Celtic and um, we touched on all the energy he had, all the, kind of, the fire in his belly and sometimes kind of too much, but you've hit the nail on the head there. There has not been, in my opinion, two better seasons in Scott Brown's career, in his career, but certainly um, in Celtic over the last 11 years now, um, there's not been a better kind of vein of form for him. Um, maybe it was that you just touched on near the, the dial of diets. Um, didn't, he, <laughs> didn't he agree with uh, energy, um, which I kind of I have a, a vague idea that you need some carbs in your diet so that you can um, run uh, and, and, and exercise for any length of time. Um, so when Rogers came in, Bruni just kind of stepped up five gears from where he'd been in the Dyla um, era. Uh, and he's really, really become, again, what you and I have discussed over the last two seasons. He's the conductor. He's the guy that everything has to run through. And when he's not in the team, over the last couple of seasons, it is 
clearly like it, it's so apparent that everyone needs them to kind of be the one that builds things. Uh, and whenever you see um, any media build up the game, any kind of um, pundits talking about the game, or kind of looking up to any game that Celtic are playing, and they all single out Scott Brown uh, as the man that everything comes to. Aye, that's definitely, as you say, he's definitely took on that. It's it's a, almost a more, it's probably the most defensive role he's ever had. I mean, obviously, as like most midfielders, the older you get, the the more you tend to drop back. But um, it's almost been like that quarterback role that that Brendan Rodgers likes to uh, to have. He done it by a midfielder at Liverpool. Can't remember his name. Um, but he's definitely. I mean, would you say there's been a lot of uh, players who have improved under Brendan Rodgers. Oh, aye. But would you say anybody has improved more? And it sounds ridiculous because of the stage of his career that he was at when Brendan Rodgers came in, but is he the most improved player since Brendan Rodgers? Without a doubt. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. And maybe I'm saying this, maybe it's, it's a bit tainted because of how poor he had been under Dyla, but not one player in that team comes close the levels that Scott Brown has hit over the last two years for me. Well, I think definitely he's he's been the best player. I mean, he was close to player of the year last year, and obviously he's he's wiped the slate clean this year. Um, but I do think, I mean, obviously Callum McGregor's improved a lot this season. We've seen Ayer coming through. Um, Kieran Tierney's come on leaps and bounds. Um, there's been there's been so many. James Forrest's been brilliant. He's really developed. You can see that Brendan Rodgers is developing these players and and he's giving them a new lease of life and um, you can see them getting better and better all the time. But I definitely think the biggest change, there's, we've seen the biggest change in Scott Brown and um, like you said, he's, he's the beating heart now. Like um, everything for the, the team talks and the, the huddle and you can just see the passion and he really drives us on and like you mentioned without him we look lost without him at times and that's probably um that's probably a symbol of how good a leader he is because um there's become a dependency within the team that everybody looks to him for the the guidance and the motivation and um looks for him to lead them and that's why we miss him so much when he's not there but that is that is just a sign of uh, how important he's become Aye, and you know, the respect that both guys have for each other, um, Brownie, as, as Brendan calls him, uh, for, for Brendan, and Brendan for, for Brownie, um, the, the two of them have just formed um, a leadership that I think you'll be hard-pushed to find um, in future uh, Celtic teams that are kind of pairing like that, that command so much respect to the rest of the team that um, these guys have turned Celtic on its head from what it was before um, and really become the driving force behind what we are achieving to date, um, what we are achieving season after season in the past two um, and what the team's become. Um, you touched on there players like Callum McGregor, um, players like Kieran Tierney, Young Ayer. Um, these are all young guys coming in to their career, trying to step up and become 
um, the player that they, they want to become. Rooney was 31. Or pushing 31 when um, Brendan took over. And to, to think that as a 31-year-old, 90% of people believe that you get into your 30s and you're starting to push on in your career. It's become the best part of his career because of what they've managed to do together and how they've managed to knit the team together. And you and I have spoken about him a few times and his professionalism and the way he conducts himself. When you listen to Brendan talk about him in training, when you listen to anything about Bruni behind the scenes that we don't get to see day in, day out, he sets the bar for these boys. And he's 33 in June. That is quite remarkable um, when you think about the turnaround and this, this sort of late state, getting towards the twilight of his career. The turnaround since Brendan Rodgers come in has been, has been absolutely remarkable. But where, where does he go for here? Um, is he going to be here for 10? Is he going to do a Paul Lambert and become a part-time coach, part-time player by the time it gets to 10? Um, and the big question that we probably all know the answer to who's going to take over the armband? Who's taking over the armband? Um, I think that for me, there's not even a question there. Um, I firmly believe you just have to look at um, Kieran Tierney uh, and as a 20 year old having taken the captain's armband for both club and country um, it shows the character of the man and again it just I've literally just spoke about it in the last minute and a half that Bruni is such an example he sets the bar He, I believe that Kieran Tierney is almost that, that person already um, and he's literally just scratching the surface of his playing career I believe he sets the bar, he sets example um, and does everything right that you would need to to become the captain. And I'm sitting here and I don't think for a second, brother, that you're going to disagree that we think Kieran Tierney will be the next Celtic captain. Aye, definitely. Um, as I kind of preface with my question, like I think we all know that, that Kieran Tierney is the natural, um, the na- yes, the natural successor for Scott Brown and um, he idolises him. Obviously, Scott Brown's been playing for ten years. That means that Kieran Tierney was <laughs> was nine or ten when Scott Brown arrived at Celtic. So, came full circle from idolising him to to being his teammate. And um, I think you can tell with Kieran Tierney's work ethic and his professionalism that he's definitely going to take on that mantle from Scott Brown. Um, and Let's just visualise that day when they loft number ten up above their heads. One of them, one of them each side. Right. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. Um, just to like, obviously, KT will be um, the successor to Bruni, uh, but I think it would um, it be wrong uh, not to mention the fact that Bruni picking up the PFA um, Player of the Year this year uh, means that he's only the second player. Um, after the King of Kings to win the award twice um, and what a um, a great uh, feather in his cap to, to do that and put yourself um, on the same sort of breath as, as the man um, that Henry Larson and I just think that you just I genuinely could not want to give anybody a better tribute than, than Scott Brown for what he has done for Celtic um, especially in the last two years 
but he's serviced the Celtic over the last 10 um, and hopefully he sees us to 10 um, but that the, the guy for me is certainly one of the the best Celtic captains um, of recent times um, and it's been a pleasure uh, to watch him grow throughout his Celtic career um, all the ups and downs uh, and most certainly um, a pleasure to watch him lead the Invincibles um, to the treble and the, the double treble this season so um, I, Scott Brown Rooney, thank you what a man yeah I, as it said um the banner, the Green Brigade's banner the other week there, iconic, invincible, irreplaceable. I think that, that just about sums it up. Um, and as you say there, no bad company to be in following on for Henrik Larson is the only, the only player in Scotland that's ever picked up two PFA Player of the Year awards. What a, what a symbol of Celtic he's become. And, um, not to finish on too much of a negative, but um, I dread the day that he leaves. Aye. I'm not. I'm, I don't even want to think about it right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm not thinking. I'm not even contemplating that. But um, I, <laughs> what a man, um, guys. That does sum up the the tribute for Bruni. Um, I know we maybe waffled a bit at the start and gave a bit too much detail uh, on the, the early seasons. Um, but I think we've moved it on nicely and um, finished strong uh, after the, the invincible and the, the double treble season um, and. We all, uh, I think, and I hope we, we speak for um, all the listeners, uh, we all thank Bruni for his service for the club, um, and hopefully we get to watch another couple of seasons, um, if not more, of the same form and standard. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, as always, uh, do jump on iTunes and give us a little rating. Um, it means the world to us that you listen, and we will catch up with you next week.